Hi. Thank you for participating and for singing along. And thank you guys for all of your work transporting everything out of doors. Um, <clears throat> a little water. So this week we had, my family and I, we had the opportunity to, um, to go to the Twins game. And um, while we were there, there was one particular, <clears throat> there was one particular gentleman who was seated, sitting in the row behind us. And um, that's initially not a problem. And he's the type of uh, Twins fan that when, you, when he goes to the game, he also uh, listens to the radio. So he had earbuds in and he was listening to the radio broadcast while uh, cheering on the Twins. And um, the, the interesting thing was uh, the way in which he chose to, the, the word he chose to use repeatedly throughout the long game. Um, and, and he used one word repeatedly and the word was, Hooray. So I don't know how you cheer, um, but it went something like this. When, when the twins did something good, like threw a pitch that was a strike, he, he had this, and he had a kind of a higher male voice, you know, higher, like higher in the annoying range, right? And so he was sort of, hooray! Okay. Um, and then when they did something really good, like get a hit, it would be like, hooray, hooray, hooray! Uh, at one point, I mean, and so this was, this was the first inning. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, and so this guy was there, and I'm sure he's a swell fellow. Um, I'm sure he is. But at one point, my wife leans over to me and says, does anyone still use that word? <laughs> well, we survived, um, and the twins won. Um, but, you know, what... In any case, um, the reason I brought that up is just the int- because then it got me thinking about word choices and words that we use. I've been thinking quite a bit about that, specifically um, as it relates to uh, the events that we've seen transpire over the course of the last week or so. When we think of what happens in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we look at what happens in Barcelona, Spain, and we start to look at the, you know, as I've been, as you have, uh, seen the news reports as they've come out, and, and seen some of the rhetoric that's been thrown around, the, the different form of, of terrorism that's been kind of ravaging our world over these last years. And, and as I've been thinking about, I was thinking specifically about our use of language and our use of words. There are many people that are much smarter than me, that are much uh, braver than me, who have written and spoken as a Christian response to white supremacy, as a Christian response to terror. As a, there's a lot of that happening, but I want to speak to you this morning, and I want to remind you of something that you know. I want to remind you of, and I want you to think about this morning, I want us to think about this morning, the use of our words, the use of our words. Specifically this, first of all this, I want to remind you that your words have power. Your words have power. In Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. That our words, that our language, what we say to one another, what we say in, in, at our workplaces, what we say in the spaces of social media, have power. Your words, the words you use right now, the words you use today, have the power of life and death. If you went to the book of James, 
then there you would find the writer of that particular book. His name is James. It's named after him. And he uses this picture, and he says, imagine this huge ship. Imagine this huge vessel, and it's steered by a rudder, which is relatively small in comparison to this huge ship. That's what the tongue is like, a relatively small part of our body, and yet has immense power to steer our life. So I want to remind you this morning that the words that you use have power, the power of life and death. I want to remind you this morning that your words have the power to form your reputation. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool are thought, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongue. And maybe you're familiar with the quote that is actually, we don't know exactly who authored or penned the quote, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and to remove all doubt. That what the words that we use and the language choices that we make form other people's opinions about us. It forms our reputation, whether that's in the space of social media and online spaces, or whether that's in our workplaces, that's, or that's with our neighbors, or whether it's the people that you attend school with and attend class with. The things that you say form your, the reputation that you have with those people. This week, my, uh, we have back, friends back in Ohio, um, and, and Ohio started school this week. And so many of our friends, you know, the moms, proud, proud parents, are posting out on social media, Facebook, you know, first day of school pictures. And some of our former neighbors, of course, are now in school. And um, so the, the, the up, up comes the dutiful pictures, and we look at them. My wife does, because she's nice. Um, she looks at the pictures, and she shows me one particular picture of a neighborhood boy that was in our neighborhood. And he's now entering sixth grade, and now he's much taller and much thinner and lankier than he used to be, and awkward because he's going into sixth grade. You know, it's just that space of life for him he's entering into. And he looked kind of dorky, you know, whatever. Um, and my first thought when I looked at him, besides the fact that he looked a little dorky, which is not critical. I'm not being a jerk, sorry. My first thought was, I wonder if he's still a punk. Because that's the kid that I knew around the neighborhood and on the school bus. Because that's what he was. <laughs> that's how he acted. Those, and that's the reputation that he has built. And now four years later, I wonder if he's still the same. Because that's how I know him. Because of the word choices that as a young boy, he decided to make with his peers, with his neighbors, and with people who were on the bus with him. I wonder. Because why? Because your words have power. Your words have the power to build and form your reputation. Your words have the power to promote learning. Proverbs 16.21 says, The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. Gracious words promote instruction. I think we need to learn to talk in ways that promote learning. We need to learn to better utilize language that rather than causes division with people who are different than us, we're able to use language that actually promotes learning. That, that, that the, the, the way in which we speak about those who are different than us, then that actually helps us know whether or not we actually will promote learning and understanding about those people and the way of life that they have that is different than us. 
We need so much of our language, I'm afraid, is rooted in fear. So much of what we hear being thrown around, whether it's in the political realm or whether it's in the social realm or whether, whatever it is, seems to be rooted coming from this place of fear. And when you speak out of a place of fear, that promotes division. It does not promote learning. And yet here it says that if gracious words promote learning, that we need to think about the power of our language as it relates to actually learning about other people, people who are different than us. Specifically, people of different socioeconomic classes, people of different races. This week I was reading a, a review of a novel. And the novel is called Meals from Mars, A Parable of Prejudice, uh, Prejudice and Providence. By the author is by the name Ben Sayaka. I'm sure I've mispronounced his last name. But it's a novel that he wrote. Um, and let me just give you some of the lines that came from the review. And this book is essentially, it's a narrative, it's a conversation between Jim, who is a white affluent man, and Malik, who is an African-American man. This is what Malik says. He's, Malik paused. Did it ever occur to you that people from my neighborhood are scared about rolling up into your neighborhood? Whatever, Jim replied. When was the last time someone had their head bashed in by some thugs in Stonebrook? When was the last time someone had their car stolen at gunpoint when they were filling up their tank? Robbery and thugs ain't the only things to fear. There are other things people like me got to worry about, stuff you wouldn't understand. And then the reviewer says this, for the author, Meals from Mars is more than a story. It's his life. Because he serves, the author serves as the executive director for Rest Restoration Academy, a Christ-centered private school in Birmingham, Alabama's poorest neighborhood. Each day, he teaches and mentors young black men, empathizing with their experiences, feeling their pain, and refusing to give simple answers to complex problems. And then he goes on to say this, and I found this really challenging, and I wonder if you will also. The author knows that when churches engage in ministry to, the poor, to poor youth in predominantly minority neighborhoods, they assume that the poor youth are the only at-risk group involved. In fact, two groups are at risk, those being ministered to and those ministers themselves. The poor youth are at risk for, the poor, poor youth risks include lack of education, cyclical poverty, and basic needs going unmet. For those ministering to the poor, they risk believing that affluence and social standing grants them heroic position. At the risk of self-righteousness, false holiness, and paternal, a paternalistic mindset. And I read that, and I thought about my own engagement with working with inner city youth in Chicago. I thought about my own engagement with youth in Philadelphia. I thought about all of a variety of the different ways in which I have been involved with those who are at, at risk. And, I, and as I reflect on that, I actually did feel heroic. I felt like I had done, done something significant. I felt like I had done some, And then there's a sense in which that's true. 
I didn't realize, I wouldn't have realized that I myself was one who also was at risk. The reviewer warns, should you pick up this book, be warned that you might walk, you might walk away slower to speak, slower to anger, and quicker to listen. And I wonder, I bring this up because I wonder, in your reflections, in your thinking about Charlottesville, in Barcelona, what's the language that you've been using? With your spouse, with your friends, in the social media space? First of all, if you haven't been using any language at all, then I'm wondering if you're reflecting on these, these serious issues of our day. Two, is the language that you're using actually helping promote learning about those who are different than you? Is the language that we're using in those places really about learning about those who are different than us? Is the language that we use language that promotes understanding and learning like Proverbs says it can? Our words have power. Our words have the power to form our reputation. Our words have the power to promote learning. Your words have the power to hurt and to heal. Proverbs 12, 18. The words of a reckless the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 16, 24. You know what this is. You know this. We have all had our souls pierced by the arrows of people's language and words. As kids, we say, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> what a terrible lie we teach our kids. Because the things I remember is not the sticks and stones that hit me that kids threw. I don't remember. I remember people. But I remember what people said, even from the earliest, earliest days. Because we understand the power of language and somehow language internal, we internalize those things and keep those things with us. And if we had an open mic here, which we won't, but if we had an opportunity for you to be able to say, this is what some teacher said, this is what my dad said, this is what my brother said, this is what my friend said, and it hurt me, it pierced my soul, every single one of us would have an opportunity to share multiple things over the course of our lives. Because our words have power to hurt, but our words also have the power to heal. Your words have the power to heal. And we've all experienced a word spoken at the right time that have been a salve for our soul, sometimes surprising to us. That the way, the power of someone coming alongside at right, and sometimes it's even been a comment of a stranger, someone we don't know very well, and for whatever reason, they speak into our life, and it is a salve for our soul. I want to remind you this morning, what you already know, that your words, your tongue, your speech has the power to hurt, but also has the power to heal. And finally this that your words have the power to reveal who you really are. In Matthew, it tells us that out of the overflow of our hearts, out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth speaks. The greatest tragedy for me over these past days was not the violence. The greatest tragedy for me was not the spewing of hateful language. 
the biggest tragedy for me was the fact that this passage is actually true. That what you saw played out on your TV screens and on your computer screens was actually the revealing of people's souls. And that's the greatest tragedy for me. That's the greatest sadness for me. That if you look at your language, if you look at the words that you've chosen to use, if you look at those things and analyze those things, what you have is a window into your soul because out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. Out of the overflow of our brokenness, of the broken world that we live in, that the brokenness, we live in a world of brokenness, we live in a world where things are not the way they ought to be, we recognize that to be the case, but what's even worse is that we have hearts that are not the way they're supposed to be. And they get revealed in the way in which we speak to one another, in the way in which we treat one another, and we see that. And it's a window into the reality of your soul. We all have hurt someone with our words because we have a broken heart. We all have spoken out of anger. We all have spoken out of fear. We all have spoken from a place of hurt and woundedness and pain and brokenness. We all have. And all of our hearts are in need of healing. The thing is, God has given us a word, a word of healing. The, the writer of the Gospel of John says that the Word of God, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That Word, that per, that's speaking of the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the very Word of God. That Jesus came. And Jesus, the reason Jesus came into a world of brokenness, into a world of racism, into a world of tension, into a world of sin, into a world of pain, the reason He came was in order that He might be able to reveal to us the very heart of God. And it is a heart of justice. It is a heart of love. It is a heart of joy. It is a heart of healing. And it is a heart of hope. And that's why He came. And Jesus, the very Word of God, lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And He died on the cross. The door, he, he died the death that all of our injustices, all of our mistakes, all of our wrong words, all, of, all, the, all the sin and brokenness of our lives, all of that, was placed on Christ. And as we've sung about this morning, and then he rose again on the third day, in order that those who go to him might begin to experience what it is to have the brokenness of their heart begin to be mended. To begin in that space. That it is by going to Jesus that we actually begin to have the brokenness of our hearts. Because why? Because our greatest issue, our greatest brokenness is not with the people that are around us. It's actually with God himself. Jesus came and died in our place, lived the life we couldn't live, died in our place, rose again, so that you and I might be able to first heal with God himself. And as we lean into him, and as we abide in him, and as we grow in Christ, and as we allow the word, Jesus Christ himself, to dwell in our hearts richly, then we ourselves begin to heal. And as we ourselves allow our hearts to be able to be healed by the very power of the Word of God, then you become an agent of healing in this broken world. That's how God chooses to heal. Through the church. Through you. 
We gather here in the middle of Maple Grove not just so that we can be a spectacle, so that we can be reminded that God has called us into the brokenness of this place, of this community, in order that we might be agents of healing and hope and restoration and renewal. And so I want to ask you to examine your words. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you came as a guest, you know yourself not to be a follower of Christ, you, you don't know what this whole church thing is about, thank you for coming. It's such a privilege to have you with us. And I want you to ask you this question. In the brokenness of your own heart and your own experience, would you begin to consider to allow Jesus to heal? First, your relationship between you and God. Would you go to him, even this morning, and say, Jesus, I don't even know what all of this means and what this looks like, but I want the healing that only you can provide. I, I want to give my life to you so that you can begin that healing, so I can be reconciled to you. If you're here this morning and you know yourself to be a follower of Jesus, you know yourself to be a Christian, then I want to, I want to offer you this challenge. Examine your words. And if you're brave, ask your spouse, ask your parents, ask your children to examine your words and see which words and language that you use that actually is about division and not about unity. That isn't, promoting, that isn't promoting learning about other people, but is actually fostering division. Because you'll find it if you look, if you're willing to be brave and take the challenge. In addition to that, when it's, when it's revealed to you, then we need to stop. And then we need to repent. We need to turn from those things and ask God for His forgiveness and also the forgiveness of those who we wounded. And then finally this, find new words. Search out new words that actually promote learning, that actually will help because we are the agents. The church is the agents that God will use until he comes back and makes all things right, which he will one day do. If you're here this morning and you have questions with regards to spiritual things, I'd love to talk to you after the service. We have anybody in Grove Church t-shirts. They're gray with the big G on the front. That's not for Green Bay. That's for Grove Church. Please talk to them about, about your questions with regards to spiritual things or even about our church. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can be your church and it is through your church that you choose to make yourself known and you have your heart revealed to a broken world. And this morning we come as those in varying degrees of brokenness and varying degrees of trust in you. Will you grow our faith? And for some this morning, may you draw them to yourself for the very first time. For others, we find ourselves in a deep place of woundedness and frustration and some even anger. And so, Father, I pray that you will heal and that you will restore. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of your church. May we glorify you in all that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.